Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Real Bravo Q Week and this is the first time in our history that we have three guests and these are three wonderful medical students and they're going to introduce themselves now. Hi everyone, my name is Robert Dunn. I am a third year medical student at Ross University. Hey everybody, my name is Hoda Kanengo and I'm also a third year medical student. It's really great to be here today. Hi, my name is Bahar Hamidi. Uh, I'm a third year medical student at American University of the Caribbean, and I'm also happy to be here today. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert, Huda, and Bahar for being here. And Robert, you are the, the, the creator of this episode, so I'm so happy that you brought this uh, topic to us. So let's give it an introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you. The human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, is a retrovirus that is primarily transmitted via sex, needles, or from mother to fetus. Once infected, the virus increases in its copies and decreases the individual's CD4 cell count, thus leading to an immunocompromised state known as the Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, or AIDS. Once with AIDS, the patient is susceptible to opportunistic infections. So we have several options for the prevention of AIDS. Condoms for safe sex practices are the least invasive and most readily accessible option for all patients. Pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, is also an option for men who have sex with men and transgender women. If the patient is also exposed to HIV, PrEP, uh, post-exposure prophylaxis, excuse me, may also be an option to prevent infection. But it must be administered ideally one to two hours after exposure, but no later than 72 hours after. So we will focus on prevention today of HIV, so I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California. Our program is affiliated with UCLA and sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. Okay, so we're going to start with HIV, the definition. So let's get a little deeper here about what's HIV, what's that virus like? So the human immunodeficiency virus is a retrovirus. When the virus gains access to our body via like cuts on our skin or mucosa, the virus injects its 10 kilobases sized RNA genome into our cells. The RNA is transcribed to DNA uh, via the viral reverse transcriptase and is incorporated into our cellular DNA genome. This causes our cells to become a virus producer. The viral proteins translated in the cell are transported to the edge of the cell and can bud off into new viruses without lysing the cell. So that's when we start with the acute symptoms of HIV, right? It's just when, when the virus enters our bodies. So. Let's talk about some symptoms that we can experience. Yeah, some potential early symptoms of HIV can include fever, chills, rash, night sweats, muscle aches, sore throat, fatigue, lymphadenopathy, and mouth ulcers. So it sounds very generic to me, like any viral illness can present like that, even COVID-19, right? So, but the most common symptoms in HIV that is acute HIV is no symptoms at all. Right, exactly. Many people do not feel sick with an acute infection of HIV. Some people can live years without HIV with with HIV, but in what they call clinical latency without knowing they are even infected, but they can still be contagious during this time. 
Right. And to add to that, as viral load or the amount of virus copies you have in your bloodstream increases, the CD4 cells that contribute to our adaptive immunity continues to fall. So that's why the best test during this period is going to be HIV and antigens. So you don't test for antibodies because your body is still not producing antibodies in this period. So that's why the fourth, genera fourth generation HIV test is the best test to order for all our patients because that one tests for both for antibody and for the P24 antigens. Once patients begin to present with opportunistic infections such as pneumocystis pneumonia or PCP pneumonia or have a CD4 count lower than 200, the patient is considered to have acquired immune deficiency syndrome or AIDS and it makes them susceptible to more serious infections. Without treatment, patients with AIDS typically survive about three years. And let's talk about the epidemiology of HIV. I know there is very good information about that. Yeah, so uh, in 2019, uh, the HIV incidents, there were 34,800 new HIV infections in the US. This is an 8% decline from 2015. Amongst the age groups, age 25 to 34 had the highest rate of incidence, 30.1 per 100,000. Age 35 to 44 had the second highest rate, 16.5 per 100,000. Age 45 to 54 remained stable. And age 13 to 24 had decreasing rates of incidence. That's great. That is decreasing. Mm-hmm. So if we want to talk about HIV incidence amongst ethnic groups, first would be Black and African American groups with the highest rate of incidence at 42.1 per 100,000 people. Second, we have the Hispanic and Latino at the second highest rate, 21.7 per 100,000 people. And last, we have the persons of multiple races with the third highest incidence at 18.4 per 100,000 people. And then amongst sex, Males had the highest rate of incidence with 21 per 100,000 people, whereas females had the lowest rate of incidence with 4.5 per 100,000 people. Big difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the prevalence in 2019, uh, 1.2 million people ages 13 and older in the U.S. have HIV, and 13% of them do not even know it. In 2020, there were an estimated 1.5 million people worldwide that acquired a new HIV infection. This is a 30% decline since 2020. An estimated 66% are receiving some HIV care and 57% were virally suppressed. It would be interesting how COVID-19 has affected these numbers. So. You have an idea right there, guys, if you want to do a research. So compare the rates before and after COVID, and then you have a paper to publish. Yeah. Exactly. And you can see before COVID in 2019, the mortality in the United States was 15,815 deaths among adults and adolescents. Yeah, talking about HIV and COVID, HIV patients, they qualify for a third dose. So you can give the first dose, then you give the second dose four weeks later or three weeks later, depending on which vaccine you use. And then four weeks later, you can get a third dose for HIV patients. Because of their immunocompromised state. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about prevention. Uh, 
I mean screening as a prevention tool. So the USPSTF is the major, I would say the most reputable organization in the US uh, for prevention. So Huda is going to give us some information from the USPSTF. So the USPSTF uh, gives us grade A recommendation for HIV screening in particular for pregnant people and everyone between 15 to 65 years of age. All pregnant people at any point of their pregnancy, including those who present in labor or delivery and have an unknown HIV status, uh, are recommended to be screened. But the USPSTF only recommends a one-time screening and shows no benefit for repeat screening thereafter. But women can be screened for uh, their subsequent pregnancies as well. Also screen all adolescents and adults ages 15 to 65, of course. So that means screen everyone basically after age 15. And an effective approach is routine opt-out HIV screening. This approach includes HIV screening as part of the standard preventive test that we offer in clinic. And this approach removes the stigma associated with HIV testing. It promotes earlier diagnosis and treatment, reduces risk of transmission, and it's also cost effective. So let's offer it to all our patients. So basically in this approach, you screen everyone except those who opposedly opposed to, to be screened, are opposed, uh, who re refuse this service. So otherwise screen everyone. And then for the determination for repeat screening of individuals, you should take into account the following risk factors. Uh, men who have sex with men, individuals who live in areas of high prevalence of HIV, including those who attend to tuberculosis clinics, staying in correctional facilities, or uh, are homeless, injection drug use, transactional and commercial sex work, one or more new sexual partners, and those with history of previous STIs. So essentially what we're saying is that annual screening for HIV is reasonable. However, clinicians may want to screen patients every three to six months if they have an increased risk of HIV. And I think it's, a, it's reasonable too to test for HIV when you have a patient with new diagnosed STI. So let's talk about another prevention. Another prevention tool that we have is condoms. Yeah, uh, a simple, very effective method in HIV prevention is the use of condoms for safe sex practices. In 2009, the American College of Physicians, ACP, and the HIV Medicine Association called for the wider availability of condoms and education to minimize HIV transmission. So there was a meta-analysis of 12 HIV studies amongst heterosexual couples that demonstrated that the use of condoms in all penetrative sex acts reduced the risk of HIV transmission 7.4 times in comparison to those who never used condoms. And in other studies, it showed that 90 to, a 90-95% effectiveness in HIV prevention when consistently using condoms. And in a Cochrane review, the use of a male latex condom in all acts of penetrative vaginal sex reduced HIV incidence by 80%. So overall, condoms are effective in HIV prevention. 100% agree. <laughs> so let's talk about pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is taking medications before you, you get in contact with HIV. Yeah, so for PrEP, uh, there are two medications that are commonly prescribed uh, it would be uh, 
Truvada, uh, which is the most common one that is uh, used. And then there's also Discovi, which in the community is also known as the Danny Duchovny of prep. Why is it called that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, my understanding is that uh, Danny Duchovny was um, a pretty uh, chillin' actor, cool and uh but then after a while uh he may have gained some weight and uh discovery is that might be one of the side effects that we're going to talk about <laughs> interesting um so with prep another it's another option for prevention amongst hiv negative individuals um it is an antiretroviral pill that is taken daily to maintain a steady state level of medication in the bloodstream the medication specifically is a combination of two antiretroviral medications Tenofovir and emtricitabine. M- Tri- oh, good. <laughs> uh, both medications are nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, or NRTIs, that work by blocking the viral reverse transcriptase from HIV and prevent the enzyme from copying the RNA genome into DNA. Therefore, it stops viral replication. So, as Robert told us earlier, there are two formulations of PrEP. Truvada and Discovi. Truvada's primary side effects are renal and bone toxicity with long-term use. Discovi's primary side effects are mild weight gain and dyslipidemia. Truvada is the most commonly prescribed PrEP because it has the most data since it has been around the longest. Yeah, uh, however, extra consideration should be taken for uh, especially adolescents should weigh at least 35 kilograms before being prescribed PrEP. Discovi may be preferred for adolescents as it is not associated with reduction in bone density as Truvada is. With respect to kidney function, we are also looking for an estimated GFR between 30 and 60. Uh, Truvada is associated with acute and chronic kidney disease, whereas Discovi is safe for patients with GFR greater than 30. Another consideration we want to keep in mind is uh, patients with osteoporosis. Truvada is associated with bone toxicity, whereas Discovi is not. It is important to note, guys, that PrEP has only been studied in men or people who were assigned men sex at birth. So its efficacy in vaginal sex and with vaginal fluids cannot be generalized at this time. We'll wait for more research in the future. And with respect to research, uh, looking to the future of PrEP, in May 2020, the HIV Trials Network uh, conducted a its HPTN083 randomized trial that demonstrated the potential of an injectable PrEP. Carbotegravir is an integrase inhibitor which prevents the HIV integrase enzyme from incorporating the HIV genome into the cellular genome. This study demonstrated its efficacy as PrEP in comparison to Truvada with fewer new infections. 13 versus 39, respectively. So, carbotegravir would be given via injection once every eight weeks. How convenient. (laughs) Yeah, in September 2021, the pharmaceutical company Moderna will begin two human clinical trials for an HIV vaccine that use mRNA technology. Previous studies conducted with non-mRNA vaccines demonstrated that B-cells can be stimulated to create antibodies against HIV. Since HIV becomes integrated in the cellular genome within 72 hours of transmission, 
a high level of antibodies must be produced and present in the body to offer an adequate level of immunity. So, mRNA. So it's not only COVID. Now we'll see if we can work for HIV too. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk now about post-exposure prophylaxis. So that's medications that you take after you get exposed to HIV. So in the event that an individual is exposed to blood or bodily fluids with high risk of HIV, for example, percutaneously, through mucous membranes or non-intact skin root, post-exposure prophylaxis or PEP may be an option. PEP is indicated when the HIV status of the exposure source is unknown and, are, and we are awaiting test results or if the exposure source is HIV positive. Yeah, and therapy should be started within one or two hours of exposure, and it is not effective after 72 hours of initial exposure. The recommended duration of therapy is uh, four weeks, but no evidence has been shown for an optimal duration. So I see the importance of PEP in occupational exposure. So if you have a needle stick, guys, make sure that you contact your infection control nurse or your, you go to the occupational clinic because it can you know, potentially be um, uh, a cause of infection in, in, in some providers. But remember that still the risk of infection from a needle stick is less than 1%, but you don't want to take any chances. So post-exposure prophylaxis is an option for uh, providers who get exposed to HIV. Currently, we have two options for PEP. First, we have Truvada with Dolutegravir. And second, we have Truvada with Raltegravir. So both dolutegravir and raltegravir are integrase inhibitors which block the integration of the viral the integration of the viral genome into the cellular DNA. The regimens are chosen based off of efficacy, side effects, patient convenience, and completion rates. Dolutegravir is chosen because it is given once daily, while raltegravir is taken twice daily. But most experience with PEP has been with raltegravir. Other risks with raltegravir are potential skeletal muscle toxicity and systemic cutaneous reactions that resemble Steven Johnson syndrome. Yeah, and uh, so post-exposure prophylaxis is a wonderful thing. You know, HIV has become uh, a chronic disease, basically. So when I get a patient diagnosed with HIV, I usually tell them, hey, you don't have to die. You have to take a medication for life, but it becomes pretty much like diabetes or hypertension where you take a pill and your um, infection can be under control. So I, I gave him hope and I gave him uh, you know, that information that they should know. Because if, it, if they were diagnosed in 1988, you know, the, it was a different picture than now. We have effective medications for prophylaxis, but also for, for treatment and hopefully in the future, a vaccine. So who knows? So I have a question for you guys. <laughs> what do you call the patient zero of HIV? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Tell us, doctor. First eight. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I know, and I know, if a patient hears this, they're gonna get the joke because they know that this is not a fatal disease immediately, only if you are not compliant with the medications. So one final word about prevention of vertical transmission is making sure that pregnant women are treated during pregnancy. And if the baby is delivered from a patient whose viral load is detectable, 
so the baby needs to be treated too. But we'll leave that episode for another time. That topic, we'll discuss it later. But uh, give us a word to finish, to wrap up this episode, Robert. Yeah, so uh, in conclusion, you know, HIV incidence is decreasing thanks to many of the preventative measures that are being taken globally. Uh, we discussed some screening options. We talked about condoms in safe sex practice. Uh, we talked about PrEP and PEP as part of this prevention effort as well. So stay tuned for more relevant medical topics in our next episode. Woo. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we conclude our episode number 70, HIV prevention. Robert Huda and Bahar explained some ways to prevent HIV, mainly by screening those at risk using condoms, PREP, that's pre-exposure prophylaxis, and PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis. Let's also remember that having a monogamous relationship and avoiding high-risk sexual behaviors confers significant protection against HIV. Even without trying, every night you go to bed being a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicaservista.org or visit our website at riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. This week, we thank Hector Ariaza, Robert Dunn, Huda Kunango, and Bahar Hamidi. Audio by Saraj Amurthia. See you next week.